0: Hey there, alpaca pal. It's Katie, producer for the show. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that Aaron and I are on break right now to work on putting together our next season of Alpaca My Bags. In the meantime, we wanted to pop into your feed every few weeks to share an episode that we think is a must listen. Okay, I truly love all of our episodes, but this one that I picked is pretty meaningful to me. Back in season two, we talked to Andrew Gerza, a disability consultant, speaker, fellow Torontonian, and the host of Disability After Dark podcast. In the episode that we've affectionately titled Disability and Travel, Airlines, Get Your Shit Together, we discuss the realities of traveling as a disabled person, where airlines are going wrong, and what can be done to make travel more accessible. This conversation is more relevant than ever, because as you'll hear on the podcast, wheelchairs still aren't making it in one piece from point A to point B, and it's having a massive impact on disabled travelers. In fact, at the end of last year, nearly two years since we recorded this conversation, disability advocate Ingracia Figueroa died just months after her $30,000 power wheelchair was broken for the fourth time by airline staff. This ultimately triggered fatal health complications, and I'll link the whole story on Forbes in the show notes for you. We always hope that when we give you this extension of our body. Then you are going to give it back to us in the same way to have your whole chair demolished is basically seeing your whole life ripped from you. Disabled people sometimes have to wait for weeks on end for their chair to be repaired. And they go through ridiculous lengths to be seen by airlines as valuable travelers. So why is it still like this? Clearly, I'm heated. Andrew says on the show, disability is everyone's problem, because we will all likely experience it one day. So, with that, here's the episode.
1: Hello, my fellow alpaca pals. It is a rainy summer evening, and we are back in the studio, chatting about travel, but through a critical lens. And today is all about accessible travel. The average able-bodied traveler, myself included, has the privilege of not needing to consider certain things while on the road. I've never needed to email a hotel to check that they have an elevator or map my route based on how to avoid cobblestone streets. So today we're gonna chat about this and more with Andrew Gerza. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Andrew is a disability awareness consultant. He has devoted his life to understanding and exploring what disability means. Through his own lived experience he talks about disability in an honest way. He does this through speaking engagements, presentations, blog writing, and his podcast Disability After Dark. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank
2: you for having me today.
1: Tell us about your podcast.
2: Uh, We're almost nearing three years upon this recording, so by the time this comes out, it'll be past three years. Amazing. But uh, we're just about hitting the three-year mark, 155 episodes, which is like, wow, how did that even happen? Um, it, and it's a, it's a show that started out as a sexuality and disability podcast, so I focus solely on, like, sex and disability, so a lot of it's that, but as I hit year three, I want to do a show that is about talking about the things around disability we never hear about. So, Disability After Dark takes on this whole other meaning of, like... What things don't we discuss enough about disability? So I'm really excited to like dive in there because it opens the doors for so much more content to talk about disability in a different way. So I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah, and it's I like I've listened to it myself, and it brings so much awareness to things that I like have never considered before. Yeah. Do you want to name some of the things that people need awareness about when it comes to disability?
2: Yeah, I mean, they need to be aware that disability could could affect anybody at any time could affect somebody if they don't even look disabled they could be disabled um i think that disability is something that we're afraid to talk about we're scared of it because it's going to affect us one day and that terrifies us so i think oh there's so many things people don't think don't consider they just don't consider that what would you want to happen if it were you if you were in a disabled body what would you want to have happen you'd want support so why aren't we giving disabled people who need support why aren't we giving them access to those supports? And that's one of the things that I'm consistently like, why, why? So I think, and also people don't consider how I'm the master of going on, on tangents. So sorry. <laughs> uh, people don't consider how um, how disability feels. We always talk about how you became disabled or what happened to you or like, does your do your genitals work? I get that all the time. I get all those like base questions, but nobody asks like, hey. How does it feel to be disabled today, Andrew? How does that feel? So that's kind of the, what my show kind of explores. is like, let's get into that and explore the lived experience of being disabled and what that really means and how that manifests for someone day to day. And for me, as a wheelchair user, it's different for somebody than who is, you know, who's a hard of hearing or blind. So I love having guests on the show who are completely different for me and want to share their story. It's, just, it's a fun platform to be able to tell me all about your disability stuff.
1: That's great. I encourage everyone to listen in. Um, so we're gonna be talking about travel, which I think, like I don't know for sure, but I feel like it's not talked about a lot in terms of like how disability factors into travel and vice versa.
2: Yeah, it's talked about a lot more now because airlines particularly are doing a really shitty job of uh, of accessibility in the ruining chairs and mobility devices, left, right, and center. So it is being talked about more, but still not enough. And some of the nuances of being disabled and trying to travel are not definitely not discussed. So I was, I was so excited when I got your email and you were like, we want to talk about this. And I was like, yes, it's about time somebody wants to.
1: <laughs> so to begin our convo, I wanted to bring up a term that I think is important to know before we talk more about your travel experiences. And that term is ableism. Um, do you want to explain what ableism is?
2: Sure. I mean, there's a lot of facets to ableism. There's sexual ableism. There's, like, there's, like, just plain old ableism. There's, like, institutional ableism. There's, like, academic ableism. There's so many different ways you could couch it. But generally, ableism is discrimination against a disabled person because, of their, because they're disabled.
1: Do you want to explain some ways that this manifests? Like, give an example.
2: Uh... When the airline busts my chair Ugh. and then wants to give me a, a voucher to fly with them again. Right. That's yeah. ableism. Um, <laughs> yeah. When somebody says like, hey, what happened to you? That's ableism. When somebody says like, hey, I don't think I can sleep with you because you're in a wheelchair. That's it. Like, mm. there are so many different examples. But basically, it's when somebody doesn't know how to manage the fact that you're a disabled person and says something or does something ignorant.
1: Right. So I feel like language is really important to talk about. Before we dig in even further, um, so I heard you mention in your podcast about how you prefer language that is identity first. Yeah, um, you explained it really well. So could you explain that as well?
2: Don't know what I said on the podcast.
1: It's <laughs> probably been a while. It was there. a tangent, but it was a really good tangent. Amazing!
2: <laughs> I am the master. My show. If you want to listen to my show, I'm the master <laughs> of like, let's go over here and do five ten. So yeah, yeah. But uh, I said probably something like probably something like I prefer identity first because disability is a part of me and using words like cripple, using words like um, disabled person really center disability for me in, in my body and who I am as a person. And so when for me, and just for me, this is not for every disabled person, but in my experience, saying person with a disability divorces you from the disability. I can't run away from it. I can't It's not gonna. It's gonna be a part of me every day, all day. So saying "disabled person" is a really empowering way of doing that. Also, saying "cripple" and using those that kind of language. It was once oppressive, but a lot of disabled people have taken it back and said, "No, this is a word for us, to empower us." And for me, when I say when I use language like that on the show, on my show, it's like you. If I say it first, you can't hurt me. If I use it to empower me and show you that there's no shame in the word, or the language. Then, then, I, then we can't be afraid of disability. Also, when you call me the language I, what, that I, that I ask you to call me, like, cripple or disabled person, it means you care about me. And that's, like, that's, <laughs> that's something so rare. I think a lot of able-bodied people want to be so politically correct when it comes to identity that they'll say, like, they'll use words like person with a disability all the time or, Handicapable, or which is like, oh, gross, or like, what are the words? Special needs, like that kind of stuff, because they don't know any better, and they want it They're trying really hard to be respectful, but just like we do with the trans movement and all the stuff we're doing with like sexual liberation right now, and, and the different communities there, like we ask someone, hey, what's your pronouns? We need to be doing the same for disabled people, like, hey, what is your disability identifier? What do you want to be called? What what? What is who are you and how do we how do I identify the fact that you're disabled? We need to do much more of that. Also, if a disabled person says to you like, "Hey, you call me person with a disability." Actually, I prefer like disabled person. That's them saying. <laughs> that's them saying I care about you. Like, please use the right language. If I didn't care about you, you could call me whatever, and I'm just like, all right, well, fuck off, whatever you call me this. But if I call you out and say, "Hey, friend," would you please use Triple here, like, especially with the people that I'm, like, because I run a sex podcast, I can say the, the dudes that I sleep with, I will make sex jokes about my disability, and I will expect for them to, you know, join in. Let's, in it, showing, and showing me that means you, you get that this is a part of my experience, and I can't, I can't run away from it.
1: Yeah, and it's such an easy, simple thing to do, and I think people forget about this. Like in all areas of their life, oh, yeah. like it is so simple to just ask someone.
2: Yeah, it's just it's it's a sign of respect to be like, hey, what? How can I make? How can you access this experience? Whether you're disabled, whether you're trans, whether you're both, whether you're you know person of color, whatever your experience is, asking somebody what they want in any variation is like. It means that I want to do what's right by you, and let's do that. So, like, calling me a disabled person means you care. Calling me a cripple means we're friends. Like, there are, there are nuances to the people that I would let call me cripple, and there are people that I'll say, call me disabled person. But it means, either way, it means that I want you to be a part of my life.
1: hmm so please call me out and give me shit if I use any language that you don't like or that you despise. Amazing. Or that is wrong. Feel free.
2: Standing at the ready. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not standing anywhere, but...
1: Just swear at me, whatever you want. <laughs> um, okay, so you did an amazing episode of Disability After Dark that really stood out to us as travelers um about how to plan a romantic getaway for your disabled partner um, so if you haven't heard this up i definitely recommend it but since you've already covered that on your podcast um, tell us about your journey into travel How about you start with one of the first trips you ever took? I want to know, like, were you afraid? What hurdles did you encounter? What challenges did you think you would encounter that you maybe didn't? Just tell us about your first experience.
2: Yeah, I was five, and I went from Toronto to California to go to Disneyland. And I remember being the most excited and, like, loving it because it was Disneyland, and I was five. (laughs) And, of course, like, it was great. I don't remember... Honestly, I don't remember the hurdles because I was five. Um, so I'm sure there were some, but I don't remember what they were. Um, and I just remember loving the plane. I love the idea of, like, going up in the air. And I was, like, a little kid. But the time that I really remember traveling was probably when I was, like, 10 or 11 and going from Toronto to Florida with my family to to, like, a resort for just vacation. And, like, learning that you had to make sure that, the wheelchair was figured out you had to call ahead like watching my mom plan everything when we did the trip I would have watched her set up like call the airline weeks in advance and figure that out and call the resort to make sure accessibility and I would watch her sit on the phone for hours and I wouldn't understand like why is this so complicated why why for me do you have to do everything but it instilled in me like okay this is what you're gonna have to do when you travel. And now what I do for work when I travel is that I know how to call the airline sit on the phone for 50 hours and, like, cry about my what my needs are and say, I need this, I need this, I need this. Like, it really taught me from a young age, traveling for you will be different. It isn't easy to do that, but you can still do it. So I, I remember as a kid, like, loving sitting in the kitchen watching my mom plan all this stuff and not understanding at the time, but now that I'm older, I totally get what she did why she did it that way.
1: Mm -hmm. Because she really showed you through her own actions that, like, this wasn't unavailable to you, that, like, you could still experience travel.
2: And so many times when we traveled together, like, they would get the seating wrong, they wouldn't know how to carry me on and off the plane, they'd bust my chair, and I mean, it happens even now, almost every time I travel it happens, but... Mm -hmm. I know now, because of those moments when I was young, I know exactly how to navigate that. I know exactly what to say. I know exactly who to speak to. I know exactly how to raise hell. Like, I know what... I know how to get what I need when I travel, which is great, because I do it now for work. I go and I speak all over the world about being disabled and queer, and people always say, do you want to fly out? And I'm always like, I do, but here are the realities of that. And sometimes I'll say, like, can I just do the talk from my house on Skype? Like, can we just do it from Toronto because it's easier, but, like... If somebody really wants me there and they, like, want me to do it, I have to, I have to walk so many, so many organizations through, like, okay, you want me to come? Great. Here are the millions of things I need you to do to make sure that that's okay.
1: Can you tell us about, like, some of the things that, like, as able-bodied people we wouldn't think of as being hurdles for yeah. travel?
2: Yeah. So you have to call the medical desk when you book so the medical desk of whatever airline you're working with, so let's say it's Air Canada, you have to call their medical desk after you book, and say, okay, Here, here's what his disability is, here's what his needs are, here's the kind of seating he needs, and you have to sit on the phone with the agent for sometimes an hour, sometimes two, to try to get the proper seating, to try to make sure they have notes on the file about your wheelchair, to try to make sure they have the measurements of what your chair is, so when they try to put your chair in the plane, they don't fuck it up, um, then when you get to the airport you have to consider like you have to make sure that they have somebody on the ground crew who's gonna be able to lift you from your wheelchair to an aisle chair then on the airplane safely like you have to make sure that um, they have accessible washrooms not on the air not in the airplane necessarily for me but even in the, in the airport just if you're there waiting and you go to pee what if what if it's what if it's not accessible Mm-hmm. so like all these things
1: and this is just the airport like this isn't even your destination yeah you're yet. not
2: even there yet and so what what will happen when you get there like what if they bust your chair what if your chair is damaged like you have to get ready to go from the plane to the airport to fight with the airline about hey you just bust my chair i went i just recently went from Toronto to, to Newark, New Jersey back in June for an award that I won, and I got to go to New York for the night and be with a bunch of gay celebrities, and it was super fun. <laughs> um, but on the way there and on the way back, they damaged my chair.
1: Ugh. Both directions. Both,
2: yeah. Which is not uncommon. I was ready for it, and I knew it was going to happen. When they. Like they, they damaged my chair so badly that I the chair was sopping wet and it was in pieces when I got it. And I posted that all over social media because I was like, no, no, I'm not letting you get away with this. Somebody needs to see that you messed up my... So they wanted to give me a $500 voucher to fly with them again. And I was like, do you think that I... You just damaged my $30,000 wheelchair. Why would I fly with you again? So so I, I had to, to navigate that. And, and then when you get mad and frustrated, they, they they go, oh, we just didn't know any better. And it's like... Imagine if if you're on a plane and they broke your legs and said, oh, that's okay, here's a lollipop so you can fly with us again.
1: And that's ableism. Yeah, that's like... Like a concrete example. But,
2: I mean, not only is it a concrete example, also it's like just flat-out prejudice. Yeah. It's basically sending the message to to any... And this is not just Air Canada. This is not just, like, Canada. This is every airline in the world. They don't have things designed for a disabled traveler which sends the message to a disabled person that you shouldn't travel yeah. which sends the bigger message that you're not a full person because you can't like it sends the message that disabled people don't deserve to leave their house
1: mm-hmm. um maybe it's hard to say but like what are things that airlines could be doing to improve this or that like we as travelers could be doing to support
2: Uh, that's a great question. What travelers can do. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, when somebody with a disability says they, you know, an airline damaged my thing, tweet about it, write about it, write to the airlines, Mm -hmm. tell them you want better service. Like, when somebody with a disability is getting on the plane, and if you're uh, in the seat next to them, move. Mm -hmm. Like, let them get settled. If you're a passenger, do that. Like, what the airlines could do, uh, just hire disabled people on their ground crew. Hire somebody with with various levels of disability, so that if somebody with a disability who's blind comes in and goes, "I need help," they have like, "Oh, we'll get the we'll get our blind team." There, all somebody with a, with a wheelchair comes in. Oh, we'll get our wheelchair using team mm. down to help you. Oh, somebody would like, you know, hire disabled people so that every time I fly, I don't have to be like, "Excuse me, able bodied person that doesn't know anything about my life." here's what i need you to do and then also what all the airlines can do can we I, I, it's disturbing that it's 2020 and we haven't built planes yet where wheelchairs can just yeah. roll on like why is that a, why is that not happening so if the airlines want to do something they'll 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 put a couple million dollars billion dollars into building planes that disabled people in wheelchairs with mobility devices can actually access
1: yeah that's actually like and th- I feel so silly cuz like I never considered this but it's absolutely true like how freaking hard is it to just like create a space in the plane I
2: mean it's really not all they have to it's do not is at take all. out all they have to do is take out some some of the seats or build a bigger, you know, yeah. front section or whatever cuz you know what if the plane goes down, I'm going down anyway. So like yeah. <laughs> that's it. But mom and I have a running joke sometimes <laughs> because they'll come by us when they're doing like cross check on the airplane and they'll yeah. say like do you know the emergency accidents we just laugh because like <laughs> okay if the plane goes down like well, that, it was nice to know you what yeah. like, what am i gonna do Like, all right bye so like like <laughs> what i'm saying is you can put plane you can put chairs in planes because if it goes down i'm going down like mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's so it's so true um yeah, I think it's really difficult for able-bodied folks to imagine, like, not only regular life for someone who has a disability, but traveling with a disability. Um, so we saw your recent Twitter post about your chair getting completely soaked and mishandled by Air Canada. Yep. And you mentioned this already. Um, and I've been reading about hurdles, like airplanes that don't have an aisle chair available for passengers with mobility issues. Yep. Um, what other issues are you finding in the airplane?
2: In the airplane. Uh The fight over the bulkhead seating.
1: Oh, yeah. The
2: fight over the extra leg room. So that's one of the things you have to call the medical desk and beg them for is like, hey, I'm disabled and I can't bend. I need the front of the row so that I can stretch out. And they'll go, well, the seats are reserved for, like, the higher band customers. And it's like, is it really, though? Like, I have needs. Can we just, can we give me that? Why does it have to be, why is it so complicated right now that you can't just let me have yeah. Like the row, and so that's really frustrating, and then also, like, why isn't there washrooms that I can use? like for me, I couldn't never use the washrooms, so but why can't they make a plane like look, why can't they treat disabled people like giant celebrities and build those planes that are huge and has all the stuff on it? And make that the disabled airline. I don't care. It would just be easier. And I'll still pay economy prices, whatever, fine. But if I can get on the plane with my chair and use the bathroom and move my chair around if I have to, like, it can be done. We're just not – we don't care enough about marginalized people when they fly Mm. to make it a reality.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy to me, too. So, like – It's not really a comparison, but Katie and I both have severe food allergies and I've had frustrations with airlines because they can't, I've never been fed on an airplane. Whatever I do, I call them, I beg, like they will not feed me. They won't, they refuse. They're like, it's not safe. And one time I had Air Canada tell me they didn't want me to board the plane because it was too (laughs) much of a liability for me to fly with them. And it's like, how, hard is it just like that's such a simple thing like pr- provide a nut free meal like you're providing like 20 other different meals it's
2: so simple Air for Canada, people
1: with restrictions I hope and you can you do that, that yeah. you're
2: the, like and it's so not, not that I want to bash them but I will bash them here because why not um, you know they say they have just won all these awards for being the best airline in Canada mm. and it's like who is giving you these awards your friends?
1: They're also like the only airline in Canada like,
2: I mean, it's just so it's just so silly, like, come yeah. on.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, so flying is one thing. Um, what are the kinds of hurdles you encounter when you like when you reach your destination?
2: Can you get accessible transit from the airport to your hotel? Yeah. Uh is the hotel you booked actually accessible? Like whose accessibility standards did they use to decide if you can get in the hotel or not? Like uh did they damage your chair so much that you can't leave the airport or you can't get out of the airport mm. That's happened before where they damaged my my chair so much that it's like okay we're gonna be here for three more hours because I went to a talk a couple years ago in Chicago we get to Chicago and I've never been there and I'm excited because I'm like ooh, Chicago like big city ooh, it looks like we' we get there and they damaged my chair so badly it wouldn't drive and I'm there with my friend who's doing my personal care and we're in the hotel and they were like, Well, the part we need is eight hours away, and the guy's gonna come get it for you, but he's not gonna be able to be here tomorrow afternoon. So, you have to sit there all night in the hotel, and we hung out, and we just watched TV, it was fine. But it was like, what if I had, what if I had other jobs to do? What if I was, like, coming in for my talks? What if I had, like, things to do that required me to be there? What would I do? What if I was being paid to speak, which is my job? What if I, like, Mm. they take no, no consideration for, like, what happens if you're a business person and you're disabled and you're trying to get somewhere? You lose out on wages and revenue and time, and so who's going to compensate you for that?
1: Yeah. So there's so many different degrees to the kind of discrimination that you experience. Oh
2: yeah, there's there there's like personal, there's professional, because mm-hmm. it, it looks bad on you if you can't mm-hmm. go to an event because your chair's busted, and right. usually the event space it's you're being asked to come by non-disabled people, so they don't know what it means when your chair's busted, and so you have to do the game where you're like, oh hey, sorry my chair's totally damaged um, maybe I'll get there tomorrow, and that's what happened with the conference, like I wasn't speaking for the next day, but I had to be like, I can't come to the, open, the opening ceremony tonight because my chair's busted sorry, and then you feel bad because somebody flew you out for that express thing, and then you're like sorry, the airline damaged my chair
1: in this case were they understanding?
2: Yeah, they were totally fine, and like okay. they were super sweet about it. But I, I, I felt bad because I know I'm, you know, I'm trying to build a brand on talking about disability, and how can I do that if I'm stuck in a hotel room because the yeah, airline damaged my chair?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we've talked pretty frequently on Alpaca about how sexual identity, gender identity. And like we mentioned, something like a peanut allergy impacts not only the trip itself, but the preparation for the trip. So we've seen that identity and medical conditions can often dictate where a person can travel. um, And it can involve specific preparations and research. So when you travel for leisure, how has disability impacted your choice of destination?
2: I I go somewhere hot (laughs) because I have spastic cerebral palsy, which means... If I get too cold, my muscles get too tight, and then it's hard for me to do anything. Ooh, yeah. So I hate winter, and I hate the snow, and that's not my thing. So, like, I'm always like, hey, let's find a way to get to LA. Let's find a way to get to, like, California. Let's find a way to get to Florida where it's hot. <laughs> um, and then I think about where can the wheelchair go? Like, what's the most accessible? Like, I'm not usually going to, like, mountainous resorts. That's not my thing. <laughs> I'm, like, flat, like, sea level thing. Sure, I'm not, I'm not going way up high to be an adventurer because... The wheelchair can't do that. I'm thinking flat where there's like gravel and it's easy to get around.
1: And what kind of research uh, in advance goes into preparing for a trip?
2: Finding again, finding an accessible hotel, like phoning the hotel and asking, phoning the an airline and doing that thing we talked about, like
1: yeah. So it's like hours. I'm assuming of research that goes into it. Um,
2: I wouldn't say hours. Well, yeah, Potentially. I, I don't do it all at once, but I like oh, if I'm like. I'm going to London in a couple of weeks with my family, and uh, I'm so excited, and so we, we did hours of research together, like, well, hours over a few months of, like, hey, where do we want to go? Let's find the best spot, let's look at, like, what's cost-effective, too, because a lot of disabled people don't have a lot of money, mm. so, or they're on social assistance, so traveling is, like, it is really, truly a luxury, so when this opportunity to come to London came up, we were, like, hey, we got to save money, we got to, like, I got to put some money in and we'll all put our money in together and we'll go. So that that's a consideration too of like how much money am I willing to spend to do this versus will I have enough to live after I do this.
1: Mm -hmm. And I guess, like, from that perspective, your choices are limited when it comes to, like, hotels or restaurants, whereas I have the privilege when I travel of, like, choosing a really cheap hotel, but I don't have to think about whether it's accessible for me or not. Yeah,
2: see, I have to pick higher-end stuff Mm. because I need to ensure that accessibility is there, so I can't – my friend and I once – I want to say, like, (laughs) 10 years ago, more than that, 12 years ago, we went to New York for the very first time, and I'd never been – and we went, we decided, we were like 22, and we decided to book a hostel. And I was like, cool, and we're young and impressionable, and that was a, like a cool 20-something thing to do. So we went, and we get there, and we phoned them, and they promised, and they said, it's a all one floor, he'll have no problem, he'll get his wheelchair in, no big deal. So we get there at midnight on like a Wednesday in Manhattan, and we, I've never been in Manhattan. scary if you've never been there, so I'm terrified of everything. So we get there. To this to this hostel, and there's like five stairs leading up to it. My friend and I were like, "What the fuck do we do now?" So my friend, being the resourceful friend she was, grabbed a piece of plywood from the rats in a in a garbage dump, like a few feet away, and was like, "Okay, Andrew, I'm putting this over the stairs. Drive up this." And I was like, "What?" So we did. And we somehow <laughs> managed to like drive. I drove up it and almost died. Pretty sure I almost died, but we somehow made it. In there, and we get in there. There was no; they were bunk beds. And so my friend was like, "How are we going to do this?" So, like, somehow, <laughs> we we had to stay there all night. We had to like call our hotel website and be like, "How do we? How do we fix this?" So they found us a place in New Jersey the next day, which is a whole other journey to get there. Yeah. But like, you really have to consider that story. I share that story to say like, you can't just oh, let's go and see what happens. It has to be really meticulously considered because you want those creature comforts and if you just hop in a hostel that's not gonna happen
1: Mm -hmm. yeah for sure all right so one thing that i've openly talked about on my site and like on the podcast is how travel especially solo travel has helped me personally to gain a sense of empowerment and independence that i never (laughs) experienced before um, and I'm realizing that this empowerment and independence that I feel while traveling is one of probably many examples of my privilege, especially in a travel context. Yep. Um, <laughs> you're like, yes, absolutely. Yep, got um, it. <laughs> <laughs> have you experienced empowerment traveling yourself? And if so, like, how has that shown itself or manifested?
2: Um, I don't travel on my own. I need somebody to travel with me all the time. So the idea of traveling independently is not realistic Mm. for me but I love the idea of interdependence and traveling with somebody because when I bring an attendant with me like I will make sure they're paid for I will make sure they have all their things I will make sure like so they're not doing all this for me. they're 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 taking care of me but I'm making sure that you know they are also cared for so there's like a nice friendship bondy thing when somebody goes with you to do your care and to travel with you um I also think that, like, I love being able to travel with somebody and be like, look what I do, like, because of my show or because of my, like, speeches that I didn't ever think would be a thing. I'm now able to travel to all these places because I'm one of very few people doing a thing. And so to be able to take my friends who also do my care on those journeys with me or in some cases, like, I'll take when I went to New York in June, I took my mom and we went together. There's something really awesome to be like, look what I did. I got myself from Toronto to New York all because I said some words and people liked it, loved it. They wanted me to, like, be a part of this thing. So it was really, like, that's really cool to know that from my bedroom where I create my show and where I do all my work, like, the world is listening enough that they're like, hey, want to come and be honored at this thing? Like, I was honored with Elton John and, like, Dan Levy and, like, big stars. So it was, like, really cool to be like mom want to come with me on this adventure where i have to go to new york like like, but (laughs) there's something like really cool about being able to say i have to go to la i have to go to new york for a job that i basically created out of thin air
1: Mm -hmm. i think that's the beauty of podcasting especially it's like beautiful how you can sit in your own home and like reach so many people
2: and like people are really listening to you which is like because yeah. when i'm sure when you do this show too like you don't think about who's listening you just do it and you're like all right well maybe somebody will yeah like i honestly always think that five people are listening and then yeah. I, I look at the numbers so and i'm like I.
0: oh
1: there's way more than that <laughs> i know it's like a pleasant surprise <laughs> um so what advice do you have for someone who is nervous to travel with their disability whether that's a visible or invisible disability
2: i would say <laughs> be nervous <laughs> I would say talk to other disabled people about it. There's a guy on Twitter, or no, on Facebook rather, his name is Corey Lee, and he travels with, he travels all over the world with his wheelchair and with a team of people It's called, like, Curb Free with Corey Lee, I think is his site.
1: Oh, yeah, I think I've seen his site. Yeah,
2: and he does, he's been on, like, the news, he's been on, like, a bunch of magazines, he won, I think, a Webby Award or something, I think. Anyway, mm-hmm. he's, he's very well known in the disability community. He does all the traveling. So, like, I would say go on those sites and, like, see what, uh, he, what they say, what other disabled travelers say about the place you're doing. I would say don't let it deter you, but really think about what do you need before you go? What are you going to have to pack? What, do you, how, what kind of resources will your attendant care worker need when you're there? Like, think all that through before you just decide to, like, I'm going to go here.
1: Because
2: mm. if you get there and you don't have the thing you need, then, then no one's going to help you
1: yeah and on that note i've actually noticed like both on twitter and instagram and blogs there are a lot of disabled travelers who are actively talking about it
2: oh yeah i mean it is it is that's why when you said earlier like we don't talk about them enough and so i i would counter that with we we generally as the world don't but if you talk to like a disabled bunch of people yeah we're talking about it all the time because it constantly happens to us when we try to like navigate traveling we're always dealing with like Someone being like, oh, I broke, they broke my chair today, or oh, this happened, you're like, so it is talked about in certain circles, but that just needs to expand out into the real world because one day everyone's going to need a mobility device or have an invisible disability, and when they, when that happens, they're still going to want to go to their, they're going to want to be 85 going to Fort Lauderdale still, and they're going to want to help to do that, so we need to plan for that now. Like, I just find it really troubling that we haven't planned for this now because all of us are going to experience disability or chronic illness in some way at some point. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be all the resources should be there.
1: Yeah. So like really what we can all do is just amplify voices, be that through like resharing on Twitter.
2: Yeah, like send Air Canada a tweet right now that's like, hey, you must have been just chair back in June. Maybe you want to give him more than a 500 hundred dollar voucher to fly with you. Like,
1: so they never give you anything else for that. They,
2: I emailed them and I said I will do workshops for you. Like, I'll do paid work for you. I'll do like a campaign with you. I'm happy to like talk about this with you. I'll go in and I'll meet your ground crew and discuss the things. And they said they came back with, oh here's a, here's five hundred more dollars. I was like, great. You're going to give me a thousand dollars to fly with you, which is which is not money. It's a thousand dollars to fly with you. So it was like, if you cut me a check for $1,000, that would be different. You simply said, here's a free ticket to fly with us. Ooh, like, that's not, that doesn't make me feel confident. So now, just as a personal preference, I am refusing to fly with them ever again.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, good call. Um, Okay, so confronting ableism. How can able-bodied folks be allies? And not just, like, in travel, but, like, in our lives in general.
2: Um, I think the first thing we need to do is realize we're all ableist. All of us. Even if we have the best intentions, myself included, I can say some ableist shit too. We can't hide from it. We need to start owning it. When somebody who's marginalized calls us out, or hopefully they call us in, because sometimes call-outs can be really like, whoa, that was a lot. Hopefully they call us in and be like, hey, like I really don't enjoy... Cancel culture that we have right now, where it's like I'm gonna cancel you because you said that thing, and so I try to be like, okay, where do you come from? Like, what are you trying to say underneath your ableism? What are you really trying to ask me here? And if if I want to help you with that, then I'll use my my story to do that. Otherwise, like, figure it out on your own. But the first step is to realize we're all ableist. We're all racist. We're all those things. We can all be those things. We have to be better at how we react when somebody reminds us that we're all those things.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that term calling people in versus calling them out.
2: Like bring them in. Why are you like I think this is the trouble with social media culture is that people can just send a tweet and be like, So and is an asshole, cancel and it's like, Well no. Mm-hmm. Okay, like can you just slow down and instead of canceling everybody? If you cancel everyone you're gonna have no one to like be your friend afterwards. Okay so, yeah. like
1: There's not enough focus on listening a lot of the time I find that people like, and it takes work. And this is another thing that I've thought like, it's something like I consider myself a feminist. And I also consider it a lot of work to be a feminist, educating other people about the challenges that women face in society. And so similarly, like, it's this, like, weird balance of balancing the work of calling people in with, like, your own mental health.
2: Oh, totally. You have to decide, like, is this worth it enough to get in? Like, do I really want to get in a 2 a.m. Like, Facebook argument with some rando that I'm never going to talk about? Or mm-hmm. is this my friend that I really care about and they said something problematic and I want to, yeah. like, guide them? And usually, in my case, um, if it's somebody that I want to sleep with and I really think they're attractive and <laughs> they said something kind of shitty, I'm like, all right. <laughs> All right, let me guide you, because I might end up, we'll be naked in bed later. So maybe, (laughs) like, maybe I want to fix that. But or also, if it's a good friend, like, (laughs) (laughs) just being super real with you. But, like, if it's a good friend, also, too, like, hey, you said something. And I would hope that if I said something wrong in other communities, somebody would call me in and say, like, hey, you, hey. And I've done it with people with certain pronouns. I've messed up their pronouns, been like, oh wow, I'm so sorry, I'll, I'll do better next time. And then like, mm. the same with disability. Like, if, if you call me differently abled, and I prefer disabled. Like, oh sorry, messed that up, I'll do better next time. It's, I think the problem with that is, is also you can't self-appoint yourself to be an ally. Mm. I hate it when people do this in social justice. You, being an ally is not a self-appointed position. You have to earn that in whatever community you come into. So I don't come in and be like, oh, hi, I'm an ally to the trans community. Unless a trans person says, no, 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 he's an ally. Like, because that's not my place. Just like I would hope an able-bodied person's not like, hey, I'm an ally to the disabled... No, you're not. Did a disabled person say you were? Like, (laughs) so I feel like we need to remember that, like, it's a privilege to be a part of, of a marginalized person's life, especially when it comes to disability or, like... Whatever marginalization they have, if they let you into their world, it's a huge privilege. And we, as myself as a white cis person, have to be mindful of that around trans people of color or people of color generally. Um, whatever the, again, whatever their marginal—I'm rambling, but whatever their marginalization is, like you have to be mindful of that. Like it isn't, it isn't just expected that you're an ally because you have done work in social justice. Like ooh, good for you, but like until somebody says, "I'm bringing you into this community," As my ally, you don't get to call yourself that, I -hmm. think.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Okay, let's have some fun talk. Ready. Tell us about your favorite travel memory.
2: (laughs) My favorite travel memory. Um, Well, we talked earlier on the show about how I have IBS. Or not on the show, but we talked (laughs) off the air about how I have IBS (laughs) and how... Sometimes I shit myself a lot. so
1: <laughs> I can also tell you I have shit myself, especially while traveling often.
2: Amazing. So we're best friends. Let, yes. That, I'm here <laughs> for that. So, uh, my, so last April, my mom and my family and I went to Australia to visit my sister. And so when we get down there. And I have been having trouble with constipation and I was having trouble with like constipation and diarrhea. So we get down there and one night I really had to. I had to shit like really, right away. And so in order for me to shit, I had to get up in this sling that I have, the special sling, this disability device. So my mom couldn't get me up there in time and I almost shot in her head. And it's a funny story only because I'm disabled and only because like, it would only happen in my circumstance because if I have a body, that would never happen. So it's funny because the whole family had to be involved in my shit and it was literally, it was just a really funny memory because it was like I was embarrassed but at the same time I was comfortable enough because my mom was like oh shit no big deal we'll deal with it like and and you know it just is a memory that I want to forget because it also reminds me the people who are willing to go with me on those journeys like I wish that a hot gay dude one day would be like hey Andrew want to go on a trip?" Like, I would fall apart and die if that happened. (laughs) But that's not going to happen because they have privilege in our community where they're not ready for that. But my mom, who's known me since I was, you know, since I was born, (laughs) is like, I don't care what happens to you. We're going. Like, that's why I'm so excited for for Paris because nobody else would do it. So these memories that her and I have of, like, even when we were in New York a a few months ago, we... We're in Manhattan and she was trying to get on a bus for us to get to the place we had to go. And she got on the bus and the driver drove away and left me on, on the street corner. And she had to like yell at the driver to go out to get off the bus to find me again. So the, all these weird little adventures we had, yeah. all because I'm disabled, have really brought us closer. And so those those memories are the ones that stick out the best.
1: <laughs> you should write a memoir one day
2: about the time I almost should have been homesick. <laughs> yes. <head. Yeah. laughs> Yeah, (laughs) just the one story (laughs) just like three pages
1: okay final thoughts anything you want to share with the alpaca crew Uh,
2: I love the name of your podcast by the way (laughs) when I got the email initially I was like that's the coolest name ever I'm here (laughs) for this also uh, airlines hire disabled people please also, disabled like disabled travelers, raise hell and get on those flights and get whatever deals you can and like use your disability to get whatever kind of deals you can because the world is full of ableism all the time. And if you can get a deal from somebody because they feel sorry for you, take the fucking deal. <laughs> so like yes, um, and just disabled people just travel and and be don't be afraid to be like I want to go there. Let's figure it out.
1: Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so much fun.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. It's a different it's a different podcast than what I, yeah. what I normally ask to be on, so I was really excited to do it.
1: Awesome. Um, if you'd like to hear more from Andrew, check out his podcast. It's called Disability After Dark. Um, you can also find him on social media. We will link him in the show notes. Uh, anything else you want to let people know about? Events or anything? Uh,
2: if you want to hire me to come speak at your school about... Anything around disability, you can hire me at www.andrewgirza.com.
1: Yes, hire Andrew. This podcast is produced by Katie lore and written and hosted by me, Erin Hines. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at at alpacamybagspod, join our Facebook group, Alpaca Your Bags, or email us at <laughs> hello at alpacamybags.ca. If you like what you're hearing, please let us know by reviewing the podcast and remember to subscribe while you're at it. Tune in every other Wednesday for more episodes and I hope you all get to alpaca your bag soon. Until next time!